0: He's the executive director of Avena Originals um, and um, a holistic educator. So I'm going to turn it over to Cameron. Thank you, Rihanna. Um, thank you for having me here tonight, guys. And I'm excited to, to have the opportunity to share some of this information with you guys. Uh, it's information that's very near and dear to my heart. As, I'll share within a couple minutes here kind of, you know, why I've chosen to to do this and dedicate my life and passionate about this type of knowledge and information. To kind of get into it, I guess the Avina Original Story started for all of us here at Avina probably about 23 years ago with the failing health of my mother. Uh, She'd been diagnosed as terminal lupus back in 1996. And through that period of time, we just saw her health deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate to the point where she could no longer eat an apple, hardly consume food. She couldn't walk or hardly even crawl. I remember one day coming home from high school, it was my graduating year in 96, and she was wrapped in like six blankets in front of the fireplace with, you know, the fireplace going full tilt. And this is probably one of the hottest days of the year, and I... Walked home with my shirt off because it was just too hot to, to stand or to handle. And I'd come home early because normally she wouldn't let her kids see how far it had actually gotten. She was trying to put on the best image possible. Without anywhere to turn, the entire medical system said, lupus is terminal. Go home and die. Right? There's really nothing else we can do for you. You know, Get your state in order get whatever you need to get signed, dealt with, because you probably have two to six weeks is kind of what one of the doctors had suggested. Through that whole process, we searched and we searched. It was because we had heard the story of Dr. Bernard Jensen and the amazing things that had happened with Dr. Bernard Jensen's health. My mother was like, we need to get a hold of this guy, right? Look at what he did for Dr. Bernard Jensen and his, his health. And my dad's opinion was, well, that was cancer and honey, this is lupus and they're very different stories. To kind of condense this whole story that gets a little long, we applied enzymes, we applied probiotics, we started applying really powerful foods and a a way of living that was focused on raw living foods, it was focused on 100% clean, real foods like off the tree, out of the ground type foods. And what that provided to us was an opportunity that we'd never had before. No longer was she starting to degenerate every day. She was actually looking like she was regenerating every day. And in a period of six months, she had fully recovered her health back to like a vibrant, healthy woman. She was back at work. That really woke me up. Changed my entire life. And what I decided to do with my life was dedicated to how that worked. Because there's no way that I couldn't understand that it did work. I watched it happen right in front of my own eyes in my own family. But how did it work is what I really wanted to do. And so I started really diving into this information. I was reading books and I was traveling and I was mentoring with people and I was apprenticing with people. I was just thirsty for as much knowledge as I could get. And, you know, I grew up kind of always the fat kid in school. And one of my worst stages, I was up to 278 pounds myself and just, you know, not really enjoying life. And it got to a point where I decided to apply the same information and knowledge into my own life. I had lost over 70 pounds of excess body weight and down to the type of person that is now climbing mountains and hiking and backpacking and just trying to be as active as possible, is I now have the ability and the enjoyment. And the value out of life is something that I've never had before either. So what Rihanna's kind of asked me to come on the call and talk about tonight was your entire digestive tract, what that means as far as your health. I'm sure some of us have heard this idea that, you know, every disease begins in the bowels. There's only really one disease called bowel toxemia. You could also look at it as the entire picture of what your health looks like on the outside is a mirror image of kind of what's going on in your intestinal system on the inside. How we eat and what we eat and how we absorb it is a big key on what we're actually creating inside of our intestinal system. What what we decided to do is kind of stem you through what proper digestion should look like, the foods that we choose to eat, how they're digested, how they're utilized, and then kind of paint the picture of more of today's reality and what it looks like. For us today, because I think that's the most basic understanding that we need to have in order for any of the future and following calls that we're doing to really make sense. So, when we're going to the grocery store and we're picking out these foods, most of us pick foods based on appearance, some of us pick foods based on price, others pick foods based on convenience. The last group that I usually find people get clumped onto is picking foods based on pleasure. There's nothing wrong with any of those. In a certain moderations or certain ideas, but you can have pleasurable foods that are also very healthy foods. You can also have very pleasurable foods that are very unhealthy foods. Quote one of my mentors that I like that's, you know, there's foods that will heal you and there's foods that will kill you, and they both taste great. <clears throat> when you're picking a food, it should really be food. People often use the word junk food. And I really don't like that word because if food is food and it nourishes your body, it can't be junk. And if it's junk, it can't really be called food. And so putting those words together is almost like an oxymoron for me. What does it look like when we ingest that beautiful, fresh, better-than-organic, local-grown tomato or carrot or apple? Let's pick an apple to kind of follow it through. We picked this beautiful apple full of life. If it rots quickly, it's probably full of enzymes, it's full of nutrition. We ingest that apple, we bite off a piece, and we start chewing it. By chewing it, we start breaking it down into a smaller piece. Now, we should basically be chewing that food in our mouth into semi-solid or into like almost a mush, for lack of a better word. What's happening during that process is enzymes like amylase are being secreted through the saliva in your mouth, and start breaking down the carbohydrates and sugars in that food already. As we swallow it, it goes into your stomach, and your stomach closes off into two different sections, called the enzymatic core portion of your stomach and the cardiac portion of your stomach. And what's happening as foods introduced is the enzymes in that apple and the enzymes from your saliva are mixing together and starting to break down that well-chewed piece of apple with the goal of getting it to a complete liquid. And it really needs to get that into a complete liquid, or there's going to be bigger problems. Now, as that's liquefying there, it's kind of sitting up in that upper portion of the stomach. Bottom curve of that stomach is now filling full of hydrochloric acid and pepsinogen. Pepsinogen is mixing with the hydrochloric acid, and that's creating a pepsin, which is a strong digestive enzyme, designed for the breakdown of amino acids or proteins. As we've digested that food and the stomach's full of its proper stomach acids, that little valve between the two compartments opens up and the complete liquid on top now comes down and mixes with the complete liquid on the bottom portion of the stomach. The hydrochloric acid does three things in that process. A, it's going to cleanse that incoming apple liquid of any parasites or bacterias or viruses or, you know, unwanted pathogens. It's also going to create the pepsin from the pepsinogen, which I just mentioned. third thing the hydrochloric acid does is it helps alkalize your blood because it's pulling hydrogen and chloride out of the bloodstream, forming it into hydrochloric acid. Now, that entire slurry, new solution of these two different liquids are mixed together, and they start traveling through your small intestinal tract. The first 12 inches or so of your small intestinal tract, uh, duodenum or duodenum, depending on how you're pronouncing it, is where 80 to and 90% of your absorption of nutrients occurs. Imagine like kind of sticking out your fingers towards each other, and that's kind of what your intestinal tract looks like. It's full of these little villi, and it creates an enormous amount of surface area for that liquid to go over. And all over that surface area are what we call nutrient receptor sites. They're pulling up the amino acids, they're pulling up the vitamins, the minerals, any of the fats, the sugars. All your basically essential macro and non- or micro and macronutrients are being absorbed at that point. After it flows into that point, it starts getting into the rest of your small intestinal tract, which flows down through like kind of the center of your stomach through the ileocecal valve into your large intestinal tract. Now that large intestinal tract, as a complete liquid, gets to work at pushing it up against gravity. Now. Most of us do spend a lot of time either standing or sitting. And so we make our bodies work against gravity to push up against that ascending part of your large intestinal tract. As a liquid, that's not too hard to do. It then travels across your transverse where all your liquids start being absorbed out of the food and being formed into a solid matter, solid bowel movement. And then coming down, your descending on your left side, to your rectum for elimination. I guess the ideal pathway of like chewing the food into a liquid, that liquid then merges with the other liquid. One of the things I guess I skipped over was the polypeptide conversion. This is happening in that bottom curve of the stomach where the hydrochloric acid and the pepsinogen interact with the proteins. Our bodies don't really care about the absorption of protein. A protein is way too big to ever be absorbed. The body has to break down these proteins into first peptides and from a peptide into a single amino acid. The single amino acids are the only form that we can actually absorb protein. So there's a lot of talk about there, and like where do you get your protein and make sure you're getting enough protein, but there isn't enough talk about the quality of the protein because if you're having a poor quality amino acid product, it doesn't matter how much of that protein you're getting because you're not going to get the value of the amino acids. And that happens in that stomach area, and it's absorbed through your nutrient receptor sites all the way through to your elimination. I firmly believe that's how most of our ancestors actually ate and survived every day when they were growing their own food, trading food for services. It was all basically grown and provided fresh. We didn't have agriculture. We didn't have preservatives. We didn't have the industrialization of our food supply that we do today. There came a period of time where we decided to take the responsibility of growing this food away from our local farmers or away from ourselves, and giving it to an industry, and letting this industry now produce and grow all our food for us, and start stocking our supermarkets. And I'm pretty sure that this first supermarket was a pretty big deal and pretty exciting. No longer did you have to slave in your backyard in your garden for X amount of hours every day. You could just walk, drive, bike down to your local supermarket, fill up a cart full of food and come home. That sounds really exciting. But there was a big price to pay with that. We started going away from real food and into more food-like products. These corporations were finding more efficient ways of producing food, making food last longer, making food look just as good with less effort and with less input and with less investment. In other words, they started pulling minerals out of the food. And tweaking and finding what are the basic minerals that are needed to make that food look good. Nowhere along the line was the intention or the the concern whether that food was still healthy or not. Because the quality of the food seemed to have been lost in this transition. It was now how much food can we produce and how cheap can we produce it? And they're not the only ones to blame because every time we go to the supermarket and we buy the cheapest produce that's there, and we put that in our cart, we are voting for the store to purchase more of the cheapest food. Consider it like your votes votes count. So many people I talk to talk about wanting better options in the supermarket, but yet I watch what they're purchasing at the supermarket, and they're voting for the opposite of what they're saying they're wanting. Supply and demand, it's a simple concept, right? If all of us stopped buying the cheap industrialized food covered in waxes and additives and preservatives and flavors and you name it that's going into that food and we only started buying the good food the stores wouldn't bring in that cheap food anymore cuz it was all just going to waste food for thought for everybody to think about you know where you put your money and what you're buying in the supermarket is voting for what you want more of the power really is in the people i talked to several farmers that aren't growing very healthy crops and yet they want to be And they've tried to grow the healthier crops, but their problem was nobody was buying it. And so to survive, they have to grow where the demand is. So let's take a a refined packaged food. We walked up and down our supermarket aisles. and we picked a food that came in a box or a bag or a package, maybe it's dried apple slices, maybe it's macaroni and cheese, maybe it's... uh, processed rice cracker, whatever we want to pick, as we start eating that food, there's a lot of things that are going to start going wrong. That's kind of where we want to spend more time tonight is focusing on where all the problems are happening and show you how they're actually happening from the food and we're disrupting this natural process that's inside of our intestinal system and that's creating some very serious, ugly and potentially life-threatening problems. So consuming the food that we have available in our supermarket today... The first problem I have is there's no more enzymes in that food. So that food no longer has the ability whatsoever to start liquefying in your upper portion of your stomach. The only enzyme you can get into that upper portion of that stomach is the amylase from your saliva. So if it's anything other than a sugar or a carbohydrate, it's going to sit in your upper curve of your stomach at whatever state you eat it. From my experience working with the hundreds of clients that I do and... Not only that, but my friends and my kids and people around me, we do not chew our food into this you know smooth, mostly digested uh paste. It's like chomp, chomp, swallow, done onto the next bite, you know, especially in the province that I live in here in Canada. It's a very fast paced aggressive type lifestyle where the fast food industries are thriving. People want to drive through, a drive through, eat on the go, and not even have to pause or think about what they're doing with eating. It's like mindless consuming. And they'll swallow like the biggest cheeseburger so that they can get in just minutes because it's like one or two bites. As they're swallowing, they're biting the next one and ongoing. You can imagine that food's going to stay in whatever form or shape you introduced it to that upper curve of that stomach. The bottom curve of that stomach is trying to produce enough hydrochloric acid and that peps in to try to deal with that amount of food that you're coming into. And a lot of us are eating so fast nowadays that we don't even, our bodies don't even have the time to catch up and tell us that we're full before we've already overfull. It's gotten so common that we're used to this overfull feeling as the feeling of full. Several guys that I know, they'll consume enough food or so much food that they'll actually feel bloated and heavy, and gross. Twenty minutes after a meal, and that's what they consider full. If they don't get that feeling, they want to keep eating till they get that feeling, because that was full for them. Like I can't stuff another French fry in my mouth. Is full, and I guess you could call that full, but that's not really the full that you should be looking for. Maybe we should replace the word full with something like satisfied. Satisfy yourself with food without stressing your entire intestinal system. You're going to have a better quality of life. It's almost like an engine. If you overwork your engine in your car every day, you cannot expect that engine to last its full lifespan. It's probably going to start breaking down and having more problems sooner. And that's exactly what we're doing with our health. If we look at, well, it's simple for me to look at from my last 20 years, I should say, watching what's happened in in the healthcare industry. As I was growing up through high school, it was always take care of your health now so that you don't have Alzheimer's or arthritis or diabetes or high blood pressure or heart attacks or strokes, and we could go on and on with that list when you're 70 plus. Because at that time, it was normal for people over 70 to start having to deal with and worrying about these diseases. Today, we no longer have that concern at all. There is nowhere that we have senior citizen diseases and grown adult diseases or adolescent diseases anymore. It is now a wide-span spectrum. We used to call diabetes like juvenile and onset. Except for your juveniles, were getting your onset, and your seniors were getting your juvenile diabetes. So we just scrap all those titles and come up with type 1, type 2. We've seen kids or teenagers having heart attacks, high blood pressure, arthritis, I mean, these are diseases that we never saw in that teenager's lifespan before. We've gone from 70s into your 60s, into your 50s, into your 40s, 30s, 20s, and even teenage years, which is really scary in a span of 20 years to take disease from you know the last 20 years of your life to like the last 50 years of your life having to worry about. Some reports have even said that, you know, this current generation may be the first generation where the parents outlive the children. Which is a scary thought if that has any truth to it. We're at this stage of like indigestion is kind of what I guess you're starting, which then ramifies into like acid reflux and heartburn. As you got this food coming into your stomach, it's either coming in too fast or too slow if we ate it too fast. You can't get the proper liquefication of that food. So as it merges with that hydrochloric acid, try to visualize in your mind what it's going to look like, these solid chunks of food and this liquid. That does not get a very good interaction. Do you really think that the liquid's going to be able to travel through that solid and cleanse any of the parasites or bacteria or viruses or fungi or any pathogens that are in there? Absolutely not. It's only going to be able to clean the surface area of that solid food. What about the super important stage of that polypeptide conversion, the breakdown of those proteins? You're only going to be able to break down the protein that's on the surface of that food and not inside of it. This is a really serious problem. This, this right there, what I just mentioned, is going to have major ramifications for everything else that I'm talking about today. As that leaves the body's still trying to produce enough hydrochloric acid now with this enormous amount of food and the inability to digest it that you end up with the stomach now full of hydrochloric acid, except for now the valve between the upper and the bottom is still open. So you're going to regurgitate some of that acid up into that upper curve of your stomach, and that's going to get up into your esophagus, and that's that burns. I'm sure most of us have probably experienced that at least once in our life. Burning sensation up into your esophagus will actually do damage to the stomach lining and the not only the stomach lining, but your esophagus. As you're dealing with a very acidic substance, like hydrochloric acid, which is like a 2.0 on the pH scale, into areas where it was never designed, and those tissues are not designed for it. That's where your heart attack, no, sorry, your heart attack, your reflex, like stomach reflex or acid reflex, and the heartburn. that was the worst of the case scenarios, we probably wouldn't be here talking so much about it as it would be a pretty easy solution and fix. A lot of us aren't eating enough healthy salts or waters, right? We're replacing our waters with these flavored waters and carbonated waters and water-colored flavored combinations that really aren't treated as water anymore in our system. As we start running more dehydrated and lack of salt, our bodies can't even produce the proper levels of hydrochloric acid and will actually run lower. Some people will often recommend swallowing or ingesting hydrochloric acid, and I'm not a supporter of that just because, again, that esophagus and upper curve of the stomach is not designed for something as acidic as hydrochloric acid. So when we get into leaving that small intestinal system, remember that little picture I had of your fingers out in front of you, kind of wiggling around like a little villi, and the liquid runs through those villi? What happens if it's not a liquid? If there's still these, you know, solid chunks, however you chew them, you're not going to get a very good absorption from those foods you ate. I almost imagine like these big chunks pushing these villi out of the way. E-digestion happens or indigestion is happening right there. And you're sacrificing a large part of your nutrition. Usually by this stage, somebody's asking the question, well, I thought your body produces digestive enzymes. And it does. That's true. It does produce amylase and lipase and protease and lactase. And, you know, a lot of these really important Enzymes. It does not, however, produce cellulase, which you rely solely on from your foods. So, all these digestive enzymes are produced by your pancreas and they're introduced into your system through the pancreatic duct. A lot of people I talk to have this idea that the pancreatic duct attaches into the stomach. And so, the body is like making digestive enzymes and pumping into your stomach and fixing the problem. That it's sees happened. You guys can pull up any biology book and look where your pancreatic duct actually attaches. And it is after duodenum in your small intestinal system. So after you've lost most of the absorption and you haven't been able to cleanse that food properly, then the body's introducing these digestive enzymes that I have started asking way back in our early ages. You know, if you take enzymes, if you say you supplement with enzymes, will it actually stop your pancreas from producing these digestive enzymes? Because I've heard that from people, and that sounded like a bad thing. Like, I don't want my body to stop producing enzymes until you look at it from a bigger picture and realize your body's not designed to produce digestive enzymes for every meal. You're supposed to be eating food rich in enzymes. Because you're not eating foods rich in enzymes, you're hitting the panic button on your pancreas and forcing the pancreas to work double shifts or triple shifts to try to keep up with the amount of dead food or enzyme-deficient food that you're consuming. That's putting an enormous amount of stress on our pancreas. In a lifestyle where we are having so much high-fructose currant syrups and refined sugars and sweeteners and everything put into our diet, we're extra stressing that pancreas. Is it any wonder why diabetes is on like an epidemic incline in rates, not only in cases, but in age group and how far it is? It's probably every single person on this phone call knows somebody close to them that is suffering with diabetes or they've lost to diabetes or has just been diagnosed with diabetes. You know, that's pretty scary to see. Not only are we stressing out the pancreas by this stage, we're also really stressing out the liver. The pancreas is related to the liver just take this one step further, I guess. I'm you know, getting into a lot of detail, but I think it's really important you guys understand that the pancreatic enzymes produced don't come for free. It's not like we can just make those up out of nothing. Typically, what's happening, from my understanding, is we are taking a metabolic enzyme, which is an enzyme produced by your liver for your heart, for your kidneys, for your connective tissues, for your brain, for your muscles, They're responsible for keeping you strong, keeping you healthy, and preventing too much degeneration in your system. We are taking one of those away from its job, so we're sacrificing that part of our body into the pancreas, converting it into pancreatic enzyme for digestion. So I guess you could say every time you eat enzyme-deficient food or cooked food that has to be broken down by the digestive enzymes of your stomach, you are sacrificing part of your health. We're eating three cooked meals a day, or three enzyme-deficient meals per day. We are taking away from our health every single day, and it is my personal belief that that's a major correlation to why we're seeing these diseases go from 70s into the teenage years. Is because these teenagers are being raised completely out of commercial processed food that has no enzymes left in it all. So they're like stealing from their body every day, all day long. And how long can you steal from your body before it starts to run out? or the degeneration starts speeding up. We've always been degenerating, and none of us get to survive forever. But what happened in the last 20 years is we've just hit the gas pedal on degeneration. We're experiencing people degenerating at rates that I don't think we've ever seen before. Actually, I'm very confident to say no civilization or generation before us have experienced the rate of degeneration that we're experiencing today. And it is absolutely directly connected to what we're eating and how we're eating. From that small intestinal system, where we didn't get those proteins properly absorbed, to understand kind of what's happening a step further, these proteins are they going to start putrefying? Every one of us have negative bacteria in our stomach, right? E. coli, H. pylori, candida, yeast, you know, different bacteria and funguses. And the interaction with these negative pathogens. And these undigested proteins are really where it all started to come together for me. When I started to see like tryptophan, which is an essential amino acid that is like super important for the ability for our health, we have to have that absorbed into our system for our liver to function properly. And when we're not absorbing it, it's actually putrefying into things like indol, skatol, cadaverine, putrescine, histamine. Usually as I'm going through those words, histamine jumps out because most of us have suffered an allergy or know are very common common knowledge I guess about allergies and we go to the drugstore or a pharmacy and we buy antihistamine. Right? Medications designed to help block these histamines. Well, if you're producing an enormous amount of histamine in your intestinal system and it's leaking back into your bloodstream no wonder your body can't handle these extra histamines from your hay fever or from your pollen or from your cat or dog dander. It's an overload on the system. I wouldn't expect the system to be able to handle so much if we're saturating our body. Like when you've got a word called cadavering, a word so ugly that it's actually named after a cadaver, and for anybody that doesn't know what that word means, a cadaver is another word for a dead human body. A toxin. We could spend more time, and I will spend more time on one of the follow-up calls about that. What what these toxins are really doing and how they're linked to all these diseases. I think that's actually the very next call we're, we're going to be doing is talking about detoxification, the problem with these are creating, and how we actually deal with it. We've lost a lot of nutrition based on not being able to properly digest and absorb that food. We've putrefying these proteins. We are taking the undigested fats and they're rancidifying. We're taking the undigested carbohydrates and they're fermenting. No wonder we're burping and farting and our, you know, elimination smells so bad. Another visual example. Somebody once told me, it's always stuck with me and so I want to share it with you guys. Imagine grabbing a glass mason jar one day and whatever you eat, whatever you put in your mouth, whether you drink or eat it, put a little bit into that mason jar. It's a little sip of coffee, maybe it's a bite of a donut, breakfast bagel, Maybe it's a sandwich at lunch or a salad. Maybe it's a smoothie, a cheeseburger, french fries. Whatever it is, throw it in a little bit into that mason jar. By the end of the day, you're going to have something pretty interesting in there, but that's not where this ends. Go home, open up your stove, preheat it to 98.6 degrees, and put that mason jar in there. So let's have a contest to see how long you can live in that house for. Two to three days, you're probably evacuating that house because it's going to smell so bad. Yet isn't that exactly what's happening in our intestinal systems? We're doing a slurry of foods that aren't designed to be combined together. We're putting them into an intestinal system at 98.6 degrees, and then we're leaving it there for days because less than 1% of North America is actually having the proper elimination or bowel movement if you ask what the proper bowel movement should be, I won't get into the specifics or the visual representations of that, but it should be a meal-in, meal-out. If you're having three or four meals a day, you should be having three or four eliminations per day. That's true. That's the rule in in, meal-in, meal-out. When you start asking yourself, well, I have one elimination a day, but I'm eating four meals, The question I throw back at you is what's happening to the other three meals. For a lot of people in North America, for that 99%, it is sitting there and turning putrid and rancid and fermented. And those toxins are going to be what we call bowel toxemia, and that's the start of every disease. There's papers after papers and studies after studies showing that these toxins are direct related, and many of the doctors associated with the studies feel that they are the contributing cause of that disease to start with. Some of these doctors are going in there and surgically removing that section of the bowel that is full of that toxicity, and their patients are recovering from their disease or disorder. Doctors surgically remove, and that's what they do, but there are obviously better ways of dealing with that intestinal blockage or intestinal toxemia. And that's going to be the next call that we're touching on. As that food continues to transverse, we're getting to that ileocecal valve and into that stomach. Now, if you're like me and you spend a lot of your days sitting at a desk, or sitting upright, you can imagine trying to move an undigested mass, which has weight to it, up against gravity in that ascending part of your intestinal system. That's extremely hard to do. And I think, well, I know that that's why every x-ray that I see of like swollen intestinal systems, it ha- there's usually a, a large swelling right there at the entrance into the large intestinal system. It's also where your appendix is. Like a defaded balloon, That will take a lot of pressure. So as that pressure starts to build there, you've got this appendix that can fill and help be like a pressure release type mechanism. As we're able to move that up into our transverse colon, we get a lot of slow transit times because this is where it's supposed to be a liquid and being dried out and formed into a solid, but you're already introducing it as a solid. This is a problem, right? We are... We're introducing food in a matter that the body was never designed for it. And amazing as the body is, it keeps adapting and learning how to, to address this and to deal with this and to modify our systems to try to accommodate our choices. But it's coming with heavy consequences. We have that elimination, and it is stressful, sometimes painful. Sometimes you know you can sit on that toilet for several minutes trying to evacuate this bowel movement because you know you're going to feel better when you do, that is not proper. right? The elimination should be pain-free. It should be effortless. It should be enjoyable. right? You should see people in and out there quickly with a smile on their face. What else is happening inside that intestinal system? Well, you know, I met a guy just the other day. He was telling me about how his bowel movements were clockwork. They'd never been better. He had a meal in meal out every day. and Like 10 minutes after eating, he went to the bathroom. yet he had this huge extended stomach type of male spare tire they call it doesn't look like fat because it's not soft and doesn't droop or hang it comes straight out from the chest and it's nice and firm well sorry guys that is not body fat that is your intestinal system swelling to deal with this impaction and build up food And if he's having a bowel movement 10 minutes after every meal, what's happening is one pound of food coming in is pushing against solid compaction and pushing one pound out the other, like a plunger effect. And although you might feel like you're eliminating properly, further from the truth, I guess, because you're not eliminating properly, you're actually just pushing. It's so solid that you're pushing from one end, which is pushing out the other end. And you're not having this peristalsis action, which is the natural motion of your bowels from one end to the other. This type of person, when they get onto a powerful detoxification program that we're going to go into more detail in the next call, can start dropping weight quickly. That extended abdomen can start pulling back in and they'll have more energy, they have clear thinking. All this food that's inside of our intestinal system that we're not eliminating that's putrefying. All those toxicities are absorbing back into our bloodstream. That's causing an enormous amount of stress on every organ, tissue and gland. That is clogging up your bloodstream. And because your bloodstream can't handle much of a pH change, it's going to be dumping those toxins into your tissues or into your organ. Typically, those are the two places you see these toxins go. The people that can put on body fat easily, the body will produce body fat and it'll store toxins in that body fat. And that won't let you eliminate that body fat because it needs it to protect you from those toxins. And then you've got the opposite people. People that look like they can eat anything they want anytime and they still stay super skinny with defined six pack abs and they just look fantastic on the outside. Good news for us is they're not getting away with it for free either. Their toxins are being stored in their organs, and it's those people that usually have more serious health problems sooner in life than the people that can store it in your body fat. I know people like this, that have an enormous amount of body fat, and yet they're not eating junk food or gore, you know horrible food choices. It is the toxicity that they're experiencing. This toxicity is really what's keeping them fat. And if they can drop that toxicity, the body will naturally help you decrease or destroy or melt that body fat and get it off you. But if not, if you're going to the gym and you're you know running on a treadmill for two hours, aggressively trying to work off that body fat, your body's going to be working opposite against you it's actually trying to maintain that body fat to protect you from the toxins. It knows you couldn't handle all those toxins hitting your bloodstream or any of your body fluids all at once. You're going to have poor thinking. You're going to have, men, you know, mental blockages or foggy memories. You're going to have fatigue, lack of energy, swollen lymph nodes, rashes, ringing in your ears, you know, redness on your arms, cheeks, legs. You're going to have, you know, cellulite, you're going to have body storage. You're going to have depression and mood swings and personality disorders. This is all coming from our intestinal system. I would go as far to say every symptom that any one of you could name can be directly mapped back to that intestinal system and the toxins that we're creating inside of our intestinal system. And I have more proof for that too. So with that understanding, hopefully I don't want to spend too much time on it as we're getting pretty close to the end here. I want to have some time for questions for you guys. What proper digestion looks like and what most of us are experiencing today in digestion. If you're eating packaged food or even fresh food from your supermarkets, you're buying food from corporations that are more interested in the quantity of food they can sell instead of the quality of food that they can sell. A couple notes before I open it up for questions here. Uh, I highly encourage every one of you to join our newsletter. If you haven't joined our newsletter, it's com. Right on the very bottom, it says Join Newsletter. Stick in your email there. It's not an email we're going to spam you with all the time. It's typically one a month, unless there's important information that's coming out. We'll let you know of product sales, specials. There's often coupons inside of there for extra deals, free shipping. We also provide raw recipes, articles of interest. And we take this information, we really map it out into engaging articles that you can really use not only get a powerful understanding, I am one of the people that firmly believe that knowledge is power. And the more you know about your health, the more you know about your body, the more you can feed it the proper foods, and then the more it'll thank you. And life is incredible when you are eating clean food that's easy to digest and your body's thanking you for it. You'll have so much energy, you'll think so clearly, you'll be so productive, you can get so much more done in a day. My experience, you'll live in a state of like gratitude and appreciation more than ever before.